Let me invite you to turn in your copy of the word to Genesis chapter 26, uh, 46, verse 28. Chapter 46, we'll begin in verse 28. We'll read through chapter 47, verse 12. We are continuing the story of Joseph, of Jacob, of his family. We continue to hear how Jacob and Joseph are coming back together again. They'll be reunited. It's moving day. And moving day is often a hard day. You get tired moving. You got to pack it all up. Well, they're moving. We'll see what that looks like. We'll see where they're going. And we'll see the pilgrimage of Jacob and your pilgrimage too. Let's begin reading here in verse 28. This is the word of Moses. It is the word of our God. It's the word that brings life to us. Let's hear it and receive it by faith. We read that Jacob had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him in Goshen, and they came into the land of Goshen. Then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, in Goshen. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept a good while on his neck. Israel said to Joseph, now let me die, since I've seen your face and know that you're still alive. Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and will say to him, my brothers and my father's household who were in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for they have been keepers of livestock and they brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. When Pharaoh calls you and says, what's your occupation? You'll say, your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth, even until now, both we and our fathers, in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen, For every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. So Joseph went and told Pharaoh, My father and my brothers with all their flocks and herds and all they possess have come from the land of Canaan. They're now in the land of Goshen. And from among his brothers, he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. They were said to his brothers, What's your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, Your servants are shepherds, as our fathers were. They said to Pharaoh, We've come to sojourn in the land, for there's no pasture for your servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. And now, please, let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. And if you know any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. Then Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and stood him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. And they have not attained to the days of the years of of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh, went out from the presence of Pharaoh. Then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his father, his brother, and all his father's household with food, according to the number of their dependents. Thus is the reading of God's word. Let's ask him to bless the hearing, the preaching, the loving the believing of his word. 
Father, we come as pilgrims. We come dusty. We come tired. We come as sojourners. We come as people who are, in one sense, passing through. And yet, Lord, like Jacob, we settle down in Egypt. Show us how to live from this word. Show us how to be your people, strangers in a strange land. And bless us to bless others. We pray this in the blessed name of Jesus Christ. Amen. It's moving day, moving time. When's the last day you moved? When's the last time you had to move? You know how difficult it is? Boxes? You have to go and get boxes. You have to get tape. You have to pack things together. If you've ever played Tetris, that skill comes in handy when you're trying to pack boxes. You're trying to pack things into the car. You're trying to get the right van. You're trying to know where to go. It's a complicated, difficult, challenging thing. And well, this story tells us that Jacob has moved his family. He settled his family, his father, his brothers in Egypt. It's surprising. It should be shocking to you, of course, because what's the what's the issue with Egypt? Egypt is a, is a terrible place in the Bible. Egypt is not a good place to go in the Bible. It's where you get enslaved. We saw it last week. Jacob stopped at the border. He stopped at the border of Israel. He needs to make double dog sure with God that God wants him to go actually down into Egypt, the scary place. And God says, yes, go down to Egypt. I'll be there with you. I'll bring you back out. But how does it actually work in practice? Isn't that what y'all want if you're an engineer? Some of, some of y'all are engineers. You know, you're always planning. You always want to organize things. You're very practical. And you want to know, okay, the idea is we got to go to Egypt. But how does that actually work? What will that look like? Where are we going to live? What's the housing market going to be? Where are we going to go? Are people going to like us? Are they going to accept us? They speak a different language. They have different gods. I mean, try to think how it would be if God told you tomorrow you had to move to China, that his plan for you would be to move to China. And if you were a Christian, you would say, what? This is what you want. Different people. Different language, different height, different values, different gods. And you ask, well, are you sure? He says, yes, I want you to move to China. How would you do it? How would you do it? Now, we're not looking here for exact parallels, but there is a basic parallel. God's people, pilgrim people, sojourning people in Egypt. You and I likewise, pilgrim people, sojourning before heaven. Like him, you and I are on pilgrimage. Until we get to the promised land. We're not in Canaan yet. For a time we are in Egypt. In this present passing evil age. So what did they do? What did we do? Four things they did. Four things we need. Four things they did first. They had a mediator. They had a mediator. All of this move. All of this change. This radical change in the life of Jacob and his family. Is because of one man Joseph. Joseph. Jacob immigrated only because of Joseph. You see this even in verse 1 of chapter 47. So Joseph went in and told Pharaoh. He told them, my family's here. They've moved. They need a place to stay. Jacob immigrates because Joseph planned it. And when do problems arise? If you know your future history of the Bible, when do problems start for Israel in Egypt? They start when a Pharaoh rises up who did not know Joseph. 
as long as Joseph is there, even as long as his memory is there, there's safety. There's safety. As long as his memory is there, as long as he's alive, everybody is okay. But when he is forgotten, the trouble begins. But for now, he's there. And the text uses a strange verb in verse 29 that kind of shows us what kind of guide Joseph is. Look at verse 29. We read that Joseph prepared his chariot. He gets his limo ready. He drives up to meet Israel in Goshen. And then we read this. Joseph presented himself to Jacob and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. That verb presented there. Other translations have uh, appeared. Either way, it's a special verb. It's used on multiple occasions in the book of Genesis. But every other occasion, it's used of God presenting himself. God appearing before a human being. Only here, only this time, is it used of a human. What's the point? The point is simple. Joseph is like God to his dad. Joseph is a mighty man. He is no teenage shepherd anymore. He is a mighty ruler. His father is awe-stricken. But of course, this majestic figure, what is this mighty man, this prime minister, this political power, what does he do with his dad? He grabs him. He weeps. He cries. Tears. There's a beautiful reunion. He's all too human. He's mighty, and yet he's, he has feelings. He weeps for a long time. He is glorious, but he's grounded. He's high, but he's humble. He's bone of their bone. He's flesh of their flesh. And he is willing to call his brothers his brothers. He owned them as, their, as his own. And that's why he says in verse 31, here's what we're going to do, guys. I'll go up. I'll go up. Not y'all first. I'll go up to Pharaoh. I'll tell him. I'll tell him. And then in verse 6, what is Pharaoh's response? Settle your father. You do it. Settle your father. Settle your brothers. Give them the fat land. Give them the best property, the best real estate. Why do God's people have a good time in Egypt? Because of Joseph. The only reason, the only reason they survive and thrive is the reputation of Joseph opens doors that were closed. His intercession with the mighty king Pharaoh is effective. They have sinned against Joseph. He has forgiven them. They've reconciled them together. He's made it possible. He settles his family in Egypt. And of course, in all this, don't you see that he is the person, he is the echo of our great mediator, Jesus Christ. He is the one who points forward to Jesus. What does Christ do? He does not take you before Pharaoh. That would be irrelevant. The president of the U.S. cannot do anything for you, not for your soul. Jesus takes you before the great king, before his father. He intercedes, and he does so effectively. He does so effectively. To him, our older brother has been given all authority, all rule, not only in Egypt, but on all the earth, not only in all the earth, but all of heaven as well. And he can incline the heart of every ruler on earth for his people. He can overrule in every situation to make a place for you. Make a place for you in this present age. I mean, doesn't that give you security? Amid all the ups and downs of your life, all the ups and downs of this week, doesn't that give you security to know that your brother, your brother, 
who has brought you close, who weeps over you, who hugs you, your brother who knows you. He sits at the right hand of the throne of the Father. That's a position of power. Power. Do you know what your brother has? He has that influence. He has that reputation far better than Joseph. Are you using it? Are you using that reputation? Are you using your brother? The mediator. Second, the wisdom. First, they have a mediator. Second, they have wisdom here. Look at the wisdom that Joseph and his mother show. Just because these guys had an end with the prime minister, just because they had an end with Joseph, that doesn't mean they have license just to sin, just to behave like uh, frat boys arrogantly, stupidly in a foreign land. He doesn't, it doesn't give them license to go to their Egyptian buddies and say, hey, what are you going to do? My brother's a big shot. Serve me. Bring me that food. Snap to it now. No. They had been stupid and sinful in Canaan. They had done that over in Canaan. Think of Judah. Think of the, his track record. But here we have impressive prudence and wisdom. Look at verse 31 to 34. Joseph gives coaching. He coaches his brothers. He prepares them for the interview with Pharaoh. He's practicing with them. And he says this, verse 32. He says, here's what you need to say. Here's what you need to say. The men are shepherds. They're shepherds. I'll tell Pharaoh, you've brought all that you have. You've brought your flocks. And then uh, verse 33, Pharaoh asks you, what's your job? Here's what you say. Say we're shepherds. Why is that important? Why this whole rigmarole about, oh, you're shepherds, you're shepherds, shepherds. Well, for one thing, it will impact the real estate they get from Pharaoh. Pharaoh knows shepherds need certain types of real estate. They're not going to be in one spot. They're not going to be farmers. They're going to need a lot of land to graze on. They're going to move their flocks every season. And stress, they brought everything they own. They're not looking for welfare handouts. They're not looking for uh, unemployment stipends. They plan to, they brought their tools with them. They plan to work. They don't want to take Egyptian jobs. They don't want to be a drain on the economy. They brought their stuff. They brought their flocks with them. And there's another little point of wisdom here. If you look at chapter 47, verse 1, Joseph says, where are they now? Oh, they're actually already in the land of Goshen. They've been moving down, and they're already kind of put down a couple of tents there. They're already kind of in the land of Goshen. Hint, hint, Pharaoh, it'd be easy to give them that land. Just saying, they're already there. And, And notice that when they come before Pharaoh, they keep saying something. They keep saying, you see this in verse, verse three, uh, your servants, your servants. They're just shepherds. We're just like our fathers. We're not big shots. We're just shepherds. These people who were once so arrogant and stuck up, they're humble. They throw themselves on Pharaoh's mercy. Verse four, they say, look, we're not here permanently. We're not going to live here forever. We come to sojourn. It's a temporary stay. We just need a visa for a little bit of time. There is shrewd political calculation here. Joseph knows, Goshen, by the way, for the, the map nerds among you, Goshen is in the eastern part of Egypt. I've mentioned before that 
for the Egyptians, all their problems came from the east. That's where the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Hittites, they all came down. They all attacked from the east. And so there, there's some shrewd political calculation here from Joseph. He says he, he knows that Pharaoh wants friendly people on his eastern border. He wants people he can trust. What better than Joseph's own family? Joseph does not want his family to come to harm. He's going to make sure that they, they, uh, they do well. They, they're kind to the Egyptians. And the brothers follow suit. They all show consummate wisdom, shrewd insight, and sadly, friends, that's often lacking among Christians today. Too often in our jobs, too often in our society, too often with our neighbors, Christians are well-meaning but unrealistic. Sometimes it's not just being well-meaning but unrealistic, but simply being insensitive to people they're talking to. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, when you speak, you need to take heed to who you're talking to. You need to speak as becomes the hearer is how he puts it. And yet, when you look at the people chosen to represent the Christian faith on television or in media, they're often either hopelessly unprepared or needlessly belligerent. You see, Christians can so easily antagonize people by being foolish. And we cannot simply say, well, I'm being faithful. Folly is not faithfulness. Now, the foolishness of the cross is one thing, but the foolishness of ourselves is another thing entirely. Sometimes you are being faithful, and that's needed. Sometimes it's very important to be faithful. You think of Polycarp from this morning Sunday school. But sometimes we're being obstinate or incompetent, not discerning, not wise like Joseph is here, not preparing his brothers for their big interview with Pharaoh. Some people just say, well, just go before Pharaoh, and you know the Spirit will tell you what to say. Well, maybe the Spirit tells you what to say through your brother coaching you. Maybe the Spirit of God works through your preparation as much as he does on the spot. I have an acquaintance of mine who preaches from time to time, and he says, here's how he prepares. No preparation. He says he comes into the pulpit, and the Holy Spirit gives him note cards in his brain. They just have writing in them. He just says what the note cards say. I'm not here to to attack the Holy Spirit by any means, but I I do think it's actually better. And indeed, the New Testament calls us to prepare. Prepare. It's not anti-spiritual to be wise. In fact, more Christians among us uh, should make a practice of ransacking the wisdom of the Proverbs, of Ecclesiastes, of Job, to avoid the follies of the pitfalls of folly. There's nothing unholy about being as wise as serpents as long as you are as innocent as doves. Mediator, wisdom, third, and really the key point, I suppose, if you want a key point, is a blessing. There's a blessing here. The blessing is in verse 7 to verse 10. It's the crux of the whole chapter, the whole scene. It's Jacob, right? Joseph's come into Pharaoh. The brothers, five of the brothers have come into Pharaoh. And now, daddy, now Jacob comes and has his interview. It's a, if you could have a picture of it, if they ever did a movie of this, it would be actually a rather impressive scene. You would have on the one hand, Pharaoh decked out in jewels, decked out in gold, a mighty man, the mightiest ruler in the known world, luxurious and luxuriating. His people see him as the son of the sun god Ra. He is a demigod, mighty, pomp, circumstance. 
On the other hand, you have a wrinkly old shepherd, 130 years old. I mean, it seems obvious who has the power here, right? It seems obvious who has the upper hand. It's Pharaoh. It's not Jacob. He has 70 people with him. Pharaoh has hundreds of thousands. Yet as you read through the interview, it's really interesting to note, Jacob is polite. Jacob is respectful. But who is the dominant figure here? It's Jacob. The old shepherd is not overwhelmed. He's not intimidated. Unlike his sons, notably, unlike his sons, he does not say, Pharaoh, I'm your servant. He underplays his age, but twice he says, my life is a pilgrimage. Twice he says, I'm not coming under your thumb forever. Twice he recognizes, I'm going to a better place. I'm going to a better country. And most astonishing, this is the the, the real kicker for people. They get tripped up on this, this a lot. Twice, two times, verse 7 and verse 10, at the start and the end, something weird happens extraordinarily weird happens. Jacob blesses Pharaoh. I'd love to have been there and fly on the wall just to see it. He seeks God's welfare for the king of Israel. This is the center of the whole text. It's repeated twice. This idea that Jacob blesses Pharaoh, God underlines it. I've mentioned on a multiple occasions that if you want to grow in studying the Bible, if you want to learn more about what's important in the Bible, particularly in in the Old Testament, look for what's repeated. They didn't have highlighters back then. So how did they tell you what's important? They repeated it very often. Here, it's repeated. Jacob blesses Pharaoh. But what's going on here? Why is this a big deal? It seems weird, first of all, for Jacob to even come and talk to Pharaoh. He, He just said, give the land. It seems weird for Jacob to come in and talk because Pharaoh's already given them kind of everything they want. They've signed it. You know, they've agreed we're going to live in this land of Goshen. Why is Jacob coming there? Why do we have this scene? The Bible doesn't waste words. Why do we have this scene after we already had the interview? Why are there two interviews? Because we need to get this word blessing. It's a key word. This word blessing. The modern scholars will tell us that this word blessing is really kind of a filler word. It's a meaningless word. It's like Jacob saying, hello, Mr. Pharaoh. Goodbye, Mr. Pharaoh. Thank you, sir, for the nice land. You're so nice. And, and that's the way we use it. That, that makes sense to us because how do you use the word blessing? How do you say things are blessed? We live in a world where everybody gets blessed. We will, you say, have a blessed day. Right? It's small talk. It's a meaningless filler word. But the Bible never has meaningless filler words. That's not what we're seeing here. The Bible does not take the effort to just say, hi, Pharaoh, bye, Pharaoh. Something big is happening. And it's weird. Jacob's old. He's carted into Egypt on Pharaoh's limousine. He has only 70 people under him. He is, in a sense, the king, the leader of his family, of his people. It's almost king meeting king. But who's the more powerful one? It should be Pharaoh. It's ridiculous for Jacob to bless Pharaoh because in the Bible, blessing always is a one-way street. Blessing always goes from the greater to the lesser. That's what Hebrews 7 tells us. Hebrews 7 shows us that blessing is always from the big guy to the small guy. Think about Abraham. Abraham was blessed by Melchizedek. Abraham took as a sign that Melchizedek is greater than Abraham. And now Jacob waltzes into Pharaoh's home. 
He says, basically, Pharaoh, I'm better than you. I'm stronger than you. I give you my blessing. That's ludicrous. He's not stronger. Not by what looks like strength. And yet, what happens afterwards, in fact, is that Pharaoh gets all the stuff. Pharaoh eventually gets the land. Pharaoh gets his people. Pharaoh gets blessed. He gets possession of everything that existed in Egypt. See the connection? Pharaoh actually is blessed. Jacob blesses. This meeting has real life impact on Pharaoh. Why is he blessed? And why is Jacob doing this? And what's the point for you? He's blessed because this is the promise of God to Abraham. The promise of God all the way back in chapter 12 of Genesis. Many months ago, we began. God said, I will bless those who bless you. Pharaoh had blessed Joseph. Pharaoh had blessed God's people. Like Potiphar, like the jailer, when they blessed Joseph, when they appointed him overseer, everything ran smoothly. They prospered. Pharaoh had exalted Joseph. Joseph had given food for the whole world. Egypt is honored. Egypt is blessed. Moreover, Pharaoh accepts the blessing. This is the strangest thing. Pharaoh does not say, old man, stop talking. He doesn't say... What do you think you are, podunk, pathetic guy? I'm God in Egypt, basically. Don't talk to me like that. No, Pharaoh actually receives the blessing. He receives it in silence, which means he understands I'm the lesser one here. I'm the weaker one here. Jacob, the believer, is greater, even though he does not look like it. And so what about you? What about you? What about the church? What about us today? What does it take for your neighbors who hate Jesus Christ, who disdain Christianity, what does it take for them to be blessed by you? Because that's what we're talking about here. That's the 21st century upshot of this story. Here's how the church has a place in the world. Here's how the church impacts the world. Here's how the church brings blessing to the nations of the earth. It comes when the good news of the gospel of Christ goes to these nations. It goes to your neighbors and they see the true Joseph, Jesus Christ, and they admit he is greater despite what it looks like on the ground. It's Psalm 2. The kings of the earth need to kiss the sun. Must he be angry with them? But the problem is, of course, you look around, there's no king kissing the sun. The problem is that the world looks at what looks great, and it's not Jacob, and it's not Jesus, and it's not the church. And you do the same thing. It's not just about you and the, and the nation. It's about you and you. You look around at your life, and you say, what looks strong? What looks good? What looks great? And you fixate on that, and you obsess about that, and you run your life on the basis of that. You take one look at the stuff you have, and one look at the bride of Christ, and you calculate. You don't need a calculator. You don't need your phone calculator to figure it out. You can calculate what is most important. And it's not Jesus. It's not the bride of Christ. It's your stuff. It's your things. It's this world. It's Egypt. You say, she's a podunk gal, that church. 
She's a pathetic lady, that bride. Why should I acknowledge myself as lesser and give my authority to Jesus Christ? That's why Jacob blesses Pharaoh and Pharaoh receives it. And that's the question that comes to you. Are you willing to let Jesus Christ bless you? A lot of talk about blessing. A lot of talk about material blessing. Are you willing to let Jesus Christ bless your soul? The requirement for that is you accept you're not in the star position. You're not the quarterback. You're not the hot shot. You're not the star actor or actress. You're not in the leading role. You are the lesser. Despite all that you have, despite the frailty of the body of Christ, remember that you as a Christian have a name above every name. You have a name as a child of God greater than any degree or any resume the world can give, greater than any power trip or high that you can get on earth. You have insight into the way the world works the smartest person on earth cannot get apart from Christ. And therefore, what are you to do? If you're a Christian, if you know this, what are you to do? You're to go take it to the world. That's what Joseph does. That's what Jacob does. Jacob blesses Pharaoh. You are called, therefore, to spread blessing. That's the point of the church. You are called to bless the nations. This is the promise given to Abraham that all the nations will be blessed in him. And here's a taste of that blessing. It's easy to forget when Egypt looks so beautiful. It's easy to get, for, for, forget when you, you have all the things that make you feel good. And yet, you and I are a blessing in this world. You are a blessing where you are placed right here and right now. You're a blessing at your job. You're a blessing in your home. You're a blessing at the store. You're a blessing on the playground. You're called to be a blessing for people who don't love Jesus Christ. You're called to seek God's blessing for them. You're not called to envy them. You're not called to fear them. You're not called to ape them. You're called to love them. You're called to appreciate them. You're called to bless them. Mediator, wisdom, blessing. Fourthly, briefly, finally. Provision. Satisfactory provision. It's in verse 6. Pharaoh says, let them eat cake. Well, not quite. He says, let them live in Goshen. Let them live in Goshen. What's Goshen? I've already mentioned from the eastern side. But it's rich land. It's the best land. It's, it's great pasture land. But there's more to it than that. See, Goshen was actually kind of a self-contained state in Israel. It's kind of like, it's a bad analogy, Hawaii, Alaska. It's not part of the contiguous United States. It was across the Nile River. It was into Sinai. It was kind of the northeastern region. It was sparsely populated. It was a land unto itself. And it was right and wise and good for the shepherds of Israel to go there for both parties. First, the Egyptians, we read here, we read it at the end of chapter 46. They hate shepherds. They had a prejudice against nomadic shepherds. If you think the difference between city folk and country folk is bad today, it ain't nothing compared to what they thought. They hated shepherds. The farmers, the Egyptians, they loved their land. Nomads always had to roam and get into things and break things. And their animals would just go and eat all the grass up. That, that's not good. The two couldn't mix. In fact, if you look at Egyptian art and, and their media, the shepherds would always have like hunchbacks. They'd always be deformed and small and ugly and tiny. 
the way we put certain people in that way in our media today. They didn't like shepherds. And Joseph says, I want my family to be separate from y'all, away from y'all, in the land, in good land. But I don't want y'all to get mad at us. And moreover, I don't want you to be in the center of Egypt because then you'll be affected by the culture. Then you'll be affected. You'll be more likely to give in to the corruption around you. I don't want my family to be diluted among the cities either. I want my people to cultivate God and his worship. And moreover, I suppose the last thing here to note is the location in God's providence. They get the eastern part of Egypt. In God's providence, they get the place that's easier to flee. When the time comes, when the pilgrimage is over, when the exodus happens. I mean, think about if the exodus had started from West Egypt or way down the Nile south. It would be really hard to get, get all the way up through Egypt over to Sinai. But in God's kindness, he provides the best getaway plan. He provides the best escape route. It's the best land. It's not in the center of Egypt. It's close to Canaan. And so we read the very last verse here, verse 12. Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food according to the number of their children. You know what that means? Even the babies, even the babies had something to eat. You know what that means? God's people have enough. They have full abundance in a time of famine. And that's, I suppose, the last thing to leave you with today. You may feel like you're in a famine. Oh, I don't mean a physical famine. We're in America. We have privilege in that way. We have full stores generally. But you may have personal famine. You may have psychological famine. You may have mental famine. You may just be tired and worn out. Your body may be just groaning right now. You may have stress. You may have change. You may have need. But the story right here shows us that Egypt may be your destiny. Egypt may be the destiny of God's people, but there's a Goshen. That Joseph provides his family with food for their bellies. And our Joseph, our older brother, Jesus Christ, he provides you with soul food. He provides you with soul food, not just for you, but according to the number of all his children. Of all your children, of all the family of God. He is able to do, therefore, more abundantly, far, far more abundantly than what you think he does. What you even imagine in your wildest dreams. He does Better. He blesses you that you might be a blessing. See the mediator? Do you see your need for a mediator? Do you act in wisdom towards outsiders? Do you realize the blessing that God's given you to bless others? And do you see the provision? We see it here with Joseph. We see it better with Christ. May that be realized in our lives today. Let's pray. O King of kings and Lord of lords, we, as your people, come once more to be fed. We've been fed by your word spoken. We come now to be fed by your word tasted and seen. We pray that you would give us a provision from these elements, that you would set them aside, these ordinary things, bread and wine, that you would make them tokens of your favor, that you would strengthen us as pilgrim people on a sojourn, as those who are journeying in the middle of an Egypt, in the middle of a land in the middle even of our own hearts, which so often incline towards being little pharaohs of our own, little kings and princes. We pray, O Lord, that instead you would show us that we are the lesser and you are the greater. You would give us the wisdom to walk 
wisely and well with our neighbors and one another, that you would show us that provision that satisfies, that this little taste of bread, this little tiny bit of wine will be a foretaste of that great day when our pilgrimage is over, when moving day is no more, when the boxes are all unpacked, and we are with our Savior forever. It's in light of that that we come to you now, praying these things in Christ's name. Amen.